Unboxable Unstoppable Podcast, Episode 39. In this gorgeous chat with the lovely Ames Watts from Indie Bindi Fabric, we talk about how she has turned her passion for Japanese culture into a beautiful and creative business for herself and her family, which gives her amazing freedom. But also, she is a martial artist like myself, so we do have a little bit of a martial arts geek chat. And she does share with us a lot about the way that her life led her towards her business and gives us a bit of insight into her story and how she picked up on what to make into the thing that she loves the most and how to make that into a business. It's a very great story for any woman who is looking for creative ways to emerge from motherhood in total alignment with what really lights you up and what really feels exciting to you and creating a business based around your heart, which kind of brings mind, heart and income together, which is a very exciting thing for congruence in terms of aligning your passions with your day-to-day needs. So Ames Watts has done an amazing job with her business of doing this and I'm very excited to share our chat with Ames with you today. Hello and welcome to the Unboxable Unstoppable podcast, a place for women to explore and be inspired and hear from other people who are living their unboxable, unstoppable lives. We didn't all start out that way, though. A lot of us are in the trenches of motherhood. A lot of us are enjoying all of the beautiful things along with family, but also thinking about, "Hmm, who am I now as a mother? Where am I going in my life? So we have a beautiful guest today. Welcome, Ames Watts. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So you're, uh, I will let you explain what it is that you do for work at the moment, Ames. Sure. Um, so I'm the owner of Indie Bindi Fabrics, which is a online store that specialises in independent designer textiles, all from Japan. Beautiful. <laughs> and do you have Japanese heritage yourself? No, I don't. I actually have... <laughs> <laughs> my mum's from Vietnam. Um, oh, cool. But I do have a long history with Japan. I first went over there as a teenager on exchange um, and it's just kind of drawn me back time and again. How delightful. I also love Japan and it's a special place in my heart also for many different reasons. And um, have you travelled there many times since then? Yeah, I lived, so that first time I lived there for a year and then I lived there again in university for a year um, and then most recently I came back in 2020 after living there for four years um, and then, you know, trips in between to visit friends and um, wow. so kind of food and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I really want to come to your house. Japanese and Vietnamese food are my probably two favourite cuisines so yeah. <laughs> anytime you would like an extra person at your table just let me know and <laughs> so beautiful the food and the aesthetic as well yeah. like I think that's must be such a gorgeous world to work in and what did you study at university? Um, I actually studied Asian studies um, which didn't really lead me into the fabric business I had a kind of first career um, mm. in humanitarian aid and development um, that's yeah cool yeah, it was great. I really loved it. And tell me, where do you live and do you have children? 
what's your living situation? Um, so we're back in Australia now in Canberra um, and I have two little boys who keep me busy. So they're six and eight. Great. Yeah. Oh, great. And just gone back to school, I imagine. Yes. So, which is lovely. Like I was, the, the beauty of owning my own business means that over this summer holidays that we've just had, I could kind of ease off and spend lots of time with them and soak them up. And now that they're back in school, I get to dive back into the business full time, which is lovely. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I feel the same because I run the Soul Mama Academy and that's something I love so much. And over the, the holidays, it's that bittersweet feeling of <laughs> I love having time with my family and friends. I also actually take advantage a little bit of my husband being on holidays and the ability to do a bit more focused work without being mm-hmm. distracted by school pickups and drop-offs and all those sorts of things. But then I have to stop because it's so much fun. I have to actually stop doing the work so that I go and do some fun stuff with the family. And then yeah. now it's like, okay, we're going back to the focus on the business and juggling it a bit between the drop-offs and pickups and all the things. It really but, um, isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's nice. I think you do get to define your balance a little more when you work for yourself and that's mostly, and that's a lovely thing. And yeah. I want to, I really love to hear more about how you came from what you did and then through motherhood into what you do now. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, though I worked in the development world, I'd kind of, I've always sewn. I've sewn since I was a little girl. Like I learned from watching my mum make me and my friends outfits when we were little and then experimenting with my identity as a teenager and making my own things. And some worked, some didn't, Um, (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. And so I've kind of always had that in the background. Um, And I just had this urge for years actually to want to do something creative um, with my work. Um, So I was living in the Solomon Islands at the time and there wasn't, there's not a lot you can do. There's lots of lovely beaches and that kind of stuff, but you kind of have to create your own fun. Um, And so my neighbor was also into sewing. And so I kind of reinvigorated that hobby there and we did it Um, and that's also when I got pregnant with my first son. So I was having a kind of natural break in my career with the maternity leave. So at that point I thought, well, if not now, then when? So I just kind of dove in and my first business was actually making children's clothes. Um, and when my second son was born, we were in Tokyo Um, and again, my kind of time reduced that I could focus on my business. So I kind of reviewed my business model and I changed it then from the more labor intensive, um, production of clothes into the focus on fabrics. Um, and that's That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess like, particularly with sewing, once my son was born, it really became this kind of thing that I could hold on to that was part of my identity before I became a mum. So it was actually really important for me, like when he was sleeping or when I could carve out pockets of time to do that and just feel like me. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. so true. And I think you're really touching on something there that I hear a lot from women who go through that stage of you are so and just totally enthralled with your young baby and with the life as a mother, especially with your first, I think, Mm -hmm. if you have that privilege and that opportunity to spend time with your child and spend a lot of time on your own often and it's this sort of real bittersweet feeling I think when that starts to shift and they start to grow and they go to preschool and then it's like 
who am I now? You know, like who really, who am I? And yeah. it feels almost like a lot of pressure to make this choice. Mm-hmm. And I often say to women, it's okay to just try something and just take it off the list, like to do a trial and error process. You don't have to find it first go like no. you, you know, you might do one thing and then change it or hone it or refine it in some way and get closer and closer to really something you love. And, and it's a process, you know, it's okay not to find it straight away, but we often get that inkling of, there's a part of me that has been lost here mm. through living, through becoming a mother, but that I can feel the call, you know, you feel that call and you yeah. have the time and space to kind of heed it maybe sometimes, you know, and <laughs> I love that you've done that. And how long have you been running your fabric business now? Um, I guess it would have been probably since well, my son, my second son was born in 2016. So it would have been later that year. Yeah. So mm. almost five years, I guess. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> It's similar for me, actually, 2016. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. when I kind of created something out of the blog that I had that had been running for like seven, eight years at that point. Yeah. I actually made it into something I was proud of. Oh, and I thought, cool. what can I do with this? You know, like, and started to look at being an ethical living influencer and, you know, all the various, started to try different things out. Yeah. And, um, you also have an interest in ethical living, I understand. Yeah, well, I guess um, I'm not sure what came first. I've always been a lover of the environment and animals and wanting to kind of protect that kind of um, think about our kind of impact on that as we live. Um, But then sewing has also kind of given me a little bit of a focus on that in terms of the clothes that I put on my body rather than I guess with sewing it's, it's not cheap. It's actually more expensive than buying clothes in the store. And it's also a big time investment to create the garment. So you really have to think a lot about what you are going to make, what you're going to spend your time and effort and money on. And so I think that helps being more considerate about what will work in my wardrobe, what will I actually really wear and love. Um, And then once you've made it, because you've put all of that effort into it, you just take a bit more care um, of those garments and you try to, you know, look after them and mend them and wear them for even That's lovely, longer. isn't it? Mm. I'm wearing, you can't see this if you're on the podcast, I'm wearing a silk throw kind of, um, what would you call that, Ames? A silk thing. Um, yeah, like a <laughs> robe. A robe, there we go. <laughs> silk robe and it's really hot (laughs) so I just had to take it off because you know I'm like menopausal and (laughs) 10 50 so the hot flushes man (laughs) so I've got every now and again I just suddenly have to like take off all my well not all my clothes but all my layers one thin one put my hair up get it off I'm doing that intense I've actually just ordered some um natural hormone support things because I'm so like oh my gosh there must be something I can do yeah but funny there's a part that ethical living plays in our hormones right so so when I was um pregnant with my third child which was 2016 Mm -hmm. um it was after a four-year fertility journey which I've talked a little bit about on this and part of that was actually I had to learn to live with less chemicals in my house and less man-made chemicals and less mm-hmm. toxic chemicals. And I had to just totally change the way that I ate yeah. and also fabrics and also just things that off gas in general. And mm. I became more focused on waste, how much waste I was generating. I did a permaculture design certificate, which is 
a way of living with uh, sort of understanding ecosystems and how we can have less impact, how we can live more aligned with natural principles and use those natural principles um, in our life. And I was looking at wedding photos today because it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Mm, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Galentine's Day. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I was looking at them and I permacultured my wedding, which was like I just went through my wedding and worked out all the ways I could reduce waste and reuse things and hand make things and just the food was all local, the wine was all local. You know, I just tried to make it all very sort of aligned with permaculture principles. It was a, a great process. Amazing. And, you know, it was great. And and as life goes by, like I'm not, I, I'm not vegan, I'm not um, plastic-free, I'm not very extreme in my commitment Mm. but I am very committed and I do everything I can and I do my best to educate other people on how they can do what they can in a really simple effective way you know and that makes a big difference for me I feel like my again my impact is um multiplied in that way really I think yeah so important like you you know if you can be vegan if you can be plastic free that's truly amazing but if it doesn't suit your lifestyle, whatever changes you can make and commit to, I think they make a difference as well, right? Especially if you can share that with other people. I agree. And you're doing that too with your fabric. And I think just by slowing down the production of clothes, that's a big one. Clothes is a massive polluter. It is, um, yeah. Being more aware of what you make and how you look after it, and that's a huge part of that. And there's some beautiful initiatives. And I like I try very hard to wear things over and over again and, buy things I gotta say I am to be honest I am guilty of buying some fast fashion but I I really am trying to do it in a way that is different so if I do have to buy something impulsively I'll try and do it at an op shop or a charity shop yeah. so it's already second hand and that maybe I can pass it on again yeah. um try and buy quality things like mm-hmm. a Ralph Lauren jacket or a, you know whatever something beautiful yeah. um it also have been learning a little bit about which retailers and I won't go into it here because it's quite a big area in itself there's some some amazing influences in this area Um, Mm. but I do try to just look at which retailers are making an effort in that way and try to support the lines within their stores that are more conscious so you can Mm. often find with some of the bigger retailers um, that they will have certain lines that are organic or or recycled fabrics or things like that. Mm. So I just I just try to look out for that and support it so they then know that we want more of that as well. Yes, um, yeah. And it's good. And I've discovered also some ways that you can um, send things you don't want to recyclers that sell it on. So I've now mm. got this fantastic company that comes and picks up clothes for my house. Amazing. Or linen, like old yeah. linen or cuddly toys or shoes. Yeah. And it all gets put into recycling to make the fabrics that these – Um, fashion houses are using so that's really cool too like I think there's lots of different ways you can do that with fashion Mm. and I love that once you start thinking about it as you say just start from where you're at and then it does tend to grow and you know you might go backwards a bit and then you might go forwards again and and we have lots of different ways you know that we do it but um I'm also just trying to buy buy quality things that that will last a lot longer so buy less but buy things once yeah, I think that's really great and it does. It echoes into other areas of your life and that, mm. like you say, of quality um, and perhaps recycled. Like it, that um, is the same in the sewing world as well. Like the fabrics that I sell are um, 
indie, so they're quite, um, they're a, a high-end product. Um, so they're extremely beautiful quality, but then you can mix those with also going to an op shop and you can get an old bed sheet or an old doona cover and you can, you know, make two different garments or mix them into the one garment and it's and then it's a high it's quality idea. it's going to last you're recycling there's all kinds of things you can do that's mm, so creative like you say and i think there's there's some wonderful kind of um things that happen when you start creating in that way like i know i mean please tell us what what does it do for you when you when you make something how do you feel when you're making it it's um it's almost euphoric. Like there's this kind of like fresh off the machine, new garment feel that you get. That's like a little bit of a rush of adrenaline. Like I thought of this thing and I made it happen. I brought it to life. Um, this confidence boost, it's, um, a wonderful feeling of being able to express yourself, um, and not be tied to trends that are in the shops or anyone else's idea of what you should look like or feel. Um, and being able to do that with your own hands, it feels, it feels really good. Yeah. That's powerful. And you know, that what you're touching on there is like the ability to live out your authenticity and that word's used a lot, I know, but it's also partly a psychological need to be authentically ourselves. Anyone who's ever not been able to be authentically themselves will know the immense pain that causes. And so equally, when you are able to live out your authentic self, authentically express yourself with your clothes and making something that's unique to you, it's such joy. I, actually, everything you just said transfers directly to my passion, which is martial arts, and that's, yeah. as the words imply, it's another form of art. And we, we do create things, even though they're not physical things, we do create and I do create when I train and they also teach other people how to do it. And it's a really fascinating thing being in that space, being able to express yourself and bring something to life and feel a sense of, I guess, um, fulfillment, satisfaction, mm -hmm. and also timelessness. Like I find when I'm training, yes. I don't feel time. I can just train yeah. for hours and then I go, oh, I've got to go, you know. <laughs> and um that's a real sign that you're in flow. And I, and I would say to anyone listening that is not sure what that is, just keep trying stuff. Like you will find it. And, yeah. you know, we're lucky we've found the thing that really gets us going in that way and makes mm. us feel we can be ourselves authentically and do something we love. And it doesn't always come straight away. Like I've had 20 years of not training, you know. Yeah. And, and we exist and we do other things. Like I would crochet and I would do all sorts <laughs> of things to, to seek that or play music. Playing music's another one, learning a musical instrument, singing. You know, yeah. um, there's so many ways to do it. And some mm -hmm. people do it in multiple ways, which I just think is amazing. You know, you find those people, multi-talented people. I agree. I think that experimentation, because I do hear that a lot, like either I'm not creative or I don't know what my passion is. Um, I just think, just maybe think back to your childhood. What did you yes. enjoy? Um, what would you do if no one was like watching, if you had, didn't have to worry about what people thought of you? Um, yeah, the classic you know. Tony Robbins question, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Exactly, and, uh, yeah. You know, and all those things. And also just the set, like what do people, what, when you talk about things, mm. the way you feel when you talk about it is a really big hint as well. Mm. Like yeah. you and I are both grinning like ear to ear <laughs> as we talk about this because it's like 
this is the stuff that lights us up, you know, you can feel it. And yeah. that's probably why I got hot. That's, that's <laughs> energy. You know what I mean? Like getting excited. And, um, and I find that I do do that when whatever gets you really like literally heats you up, gets you excited, makes you feel light and jubilant mm-hmm. and um, just kind of lit up. That's mm-hmm. the stuff. Whatever that is, follow that. And other people can usually sense it better than you sometimes. Like ask your best mate, ask your partner, ask your kids. What mm. does mommy love to talk about? What does mommy get really excited <laughs> about? They'll probably tell you. Yes. Because they will notice it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's really, true. It's very interesting. So what's mm. what's the biggest obstacle you had to overcome to start your business, Ames? What's the thing that, that nearly stopped you but that you got through or maybe still tr- stops you but you get through? <laughs> I guess on the business journey, um, when I started my business, I was just so excited about it because I'd never, I, I didn't know about the indie fabric world in Japan until I stumbled upon it. And as soon as I did, I just knew that I had to share it with other people outside of Japan. Um, but I guess along the journey, the thing that was probably the biggest challenge was coming back from Tokyo to Australia two years ago. Um, just because the relation, I know each of my designers personally. So building that relationship and getting to know them and their families and where they live and their inspiration and how they make the product and all of that thing is really important to me. Um, and obviously doing that face-to-face is so much easier than being on the other side of the world. For <laughs> um, sure. And it just meant changing my business model a little bit and that kind of stuff. But there was no way I wasn't going to give it a go because I just couldn't imagine doing anything else at this point. Like, I, you know, in future, who knows what I'll be doing. But at this point in my life, I just, I, I just love it so much that I just knew I had to make it work. And um, I was a bit nervous about telling my designers that, look, I'm going back to Australia, that, you know, we're going to keep this going. And everyone was super receptive and lovely and open to it. So um yeah it was probably more of a mental hurdle um and logistical I guess but yeah that yeah. was probably the biggest one mm. and did you ever feel emotionally unsure or like you couldn't necessarily do it or did you ever have those moments where you thought who am I kidding this isn't a business or you know like <laughs> those self-doubt moments <laughs> absolutely probably not long after we arrived back in Australia and we were building a house here um and talking to the banks about, you know, home loans and all that kind of thing and my business not being recognised um, and me being like, what do you mean it's not recognised? You know, this is my livelihood. This is everything, you know, in a business sense that I'm about and having to reconcile um, their parameters um, and mine um, and having to get a second job for a little while to, to be able to continue um, then coming out the other end of it, realizing that, you know, it's worth the effort to achieve these things. And now I'm back focusing full time on the business, um, which feels like such a luxury having gone through that kind of struggle. It's uh-huh. so inspiring. I think, you know, it's really interesting how life kind of often gives us this opportunity to really show with our action what are we willing to do for this dream? You know, like what are we really willing to do? to make this happen and sometimes it's not what we thought it would be <laughs> That's right. and and sometimes we do it anyway because it's what we really want to do and it's what we really believe in and 
I mean, it's amazing that you had that belief in the business and you had that proven business model already from Japan, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's amazing because I think a lot of times we don't have that. You know, a lot of times we're starting from scratch and, yeah. and um, that can be really challenging and, and it might be that we need to do four days of part-time work and one day on the business. You know, it might be that that looks different for everybody. Mm. I know one person who's starting a business at the moment who does night, night fill for supermarkets, you know. Mm -hmm. So in the daytime she's this incredible coach and in the nighttime she works the supermarket yeah. and she listens to podcasts and yeah. that's how she's funding the building of her business. Mm. I think that's incredible. It's, a, it's very inspiring. You just got to do what you've got to do to make it happen. Yeah, she mm. has that belief and it's just mm. amazing. Mm. I think for me it was a slow, like just over many years that the business emerged out of, you know, many years and years of, different ways that I supported it. Um, I still have a job that I do. Well, I have kind of a couple of jobs, I suppose, but mainly it's um, I'm an educator and I do that one day a week. So it was last year, two days a week. Now it's one day a week, you know, so it's like slowly, slowly. Mm. And then prior to that, I've had loads of different jobs since I started the blog. I mean, I've worked in, I mean, I've had loads of different jobs in my life anyway. That's a whole other <laughs> story. But, but, um, but since starting the blog, I think administration, building, education, coaching as a personal brand coach, which has been really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Developing a personal brand when I've helped other people develop a personal brand is very helpful. Mm. But um, yeah, it's a it's such an interesting journey, and I think it all plays in. And and whatever you do will always come back and help you out at a later date. Just about you know, even if it was something adverse, mm. you learn something from it. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah I think sometimes unexpected blessings in the adverse events actually yeah I think that kind of ties back to the martial arts as well I'm also a fellow martial artist um and I feel like that thing that I always take from it is that it's just a never-ending journey of challenging yourself and overcoming those um hurdles that are in front of you whether you've put them there or you know life has and um yeah. moving to the next thing yeah, that's why I love teaching women because I, I love helping women. Through. I had, had that the other day. There was a moment in class where someone was having a feeling and I was like, it's cool, don't worry, we've all been there. Mm. But we just keep showing up. We just keep stepping on the mats and keep training. Like yeah. you're going to have feelings, you're going to have feelings that are overwhelming, mm -hmm. but you just come back and keep showing up. And that's kind of life as well, right? You just keep – one of my old instructors said to me, "It's you're just working in the garden, you're planting the seeds, taking out the weeds. Yeah. tending to the garden and you just keep working in the garden you know it's kind of a kind of a good analogy he was really good for parables like that I was quite young when I started training and he would say things like as long as you're paying your rent and doing your washing everything else will be fine <laughs> <laughs> it was great and he was he was right to some degree you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you got the basics down just let the rest flow it's kind of yeah. cool you know yeah. but yeah. um yeah I love that you're a martial artist too what style do you train uh, karate, so I do go judo. Nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's uh, Japanese, of course. So there's some yeah. synergy mm -hmm. there in terms yeah. of philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> I, I mean, so go Japan. on. Uh, you started just, in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And how did you go finding somewhere to train here, having trained in Japan? Um, to be honest, the training in Japan is one of the things I miss most about, other than access to my designers being there lifestyle wise because I was very fortunate this last time particularly to have a instructor who was um, 
very senior and we had one-on-one classes. Um, so I was, had incredible access. And um, so I do miss that a lot, but I'm also very fortunate that when, so I was in high school the first time I went to Japan and I picked up martial arts. Um, and when I came back, um, I someone dropped a flyer in my letterbox and I went and tried it out and they weren't a great club. Um, and so I just got the feeling straight away and I was like, no, that's not for me. And then um, I must have seen another flyer somewhere. And second time I went to this club, there was only a few people, but the instructor was incredible. And it was the same style that I'd been doing at my high school. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, which is not um, very common to find. Oh. So, um, yeah, and I've been with the same organisation ever since and I've just been really fortunate to have great instructors. That's um, so cool, isn't it? I'm a bit similar. Yeah. So I had a really great instructor who had trained, and there is a Japanese element in, like I do a Korean martial art, but yeah. because of the political history between Korea mm-hmm. and Japan, the person who is ascribed as the founder of the martial art that I do lived in Japan and trained under a Japanese Aikido master. So there's definitely elements of yeah. Japanese martial arts in what I do as well. And mm-hmm. uh, it, and it all, I mean, it's really so mixed. Like we talk about it like there's Japanese, there's Korean, there's Chinese. They're all, they cross over in so many yes. ways, you know. Um, and it's just interesting. I similarly had a great instructor. He left town. I stopped training. 20-year break, moved back to Australia, two minutes down the road from the most senior martial artists in my style. <laughs> you know, and again, the style I train, it's not, it's not hugely common. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I would say two of the most senior Hapkido martial artists just live around the corner. And now one of them is my mentor, really. Well, both, yeah. both of them, both of them are my mentor. Yeah. And, um, one of them runs the clubs that, that the club that I train in. And it's, it's a really, I'm very fortunate. I just feel so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, makes a real difference, doesn't it? To have Absolutely. Someone yeah. senior training you it really. Yeah. And, um, yeah. How lucky are we? I mean, very lucky. <laughs> are there a lot of other women in your class? Uh, yeah, there's quite a mix, actually. There's a um, probably not 50-50, but I'd say maybe a third of the class, probably women. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really wonderful. And, you know, having those teachers, I think, in your life um, in all aspects, whether it's martial arts or business, like we're both part of the Mums with Hustle community. I yeah. Think having leaders or women or people that have gone before you is such a wonderful thing to have. I agree. Mentorship. It's kind of the basis of my business too. And the value of mentorship is just off the hook as far as I'm concerned. The changes that have occurred for me since training martial arts, since joining Tracy Harris's social method society, shout out to Tracy. She's an amazing mentor. Um, Another mentor I had was Stu McLaren for Tribe. Really, we've been very fortunate to have access to these people who have, you know, trodden the boards before us. And it's, I think it's really special. And it also allows us to connect and collaborate like we are now. And that, that's something that I also value so highly. You know, as a, as a martial artist, I mean, we collaborate all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we right. partner with different people every class. We, you know, mm. it's what we do. And we know how valuable that is. Um, and I think it does make us a little more able to then just step into these kinds of collaborations, which I really, I love doing, you know. And um, we've been talking a while, so we might wrap it up. But as it's so lovely to talk to you. I always have great conversations with you. Yes, thank so you lovely. so much. Thank Thanks. you. And thank you for coming on the podcast. 
And um, we'll talk to you again soon. All the best with your ongoing Indie Bindi Fabric journey. Thank you so uh, much. Thanks, Ames. I'll see you soon. See you soon.